Well, hey, uh, Merry Christmas Eve, everybody. This is awesome. Feliz Navidad. Again, I don't know how to say, does anyone know how to say Merry Christmas Eve in Spanish? No, no. We need to diversify our language, you guys. Come on. We, no. Uh, anyways, thank you guys for being here tonight. This is amazing. Such a joy to be together. If we haven't met yet, my name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here, and, uh, and it's fun to gather. It's so fun to see families and grandparents I haven't seen or parents or kids I haven't seen, so it's fun to just be together. Thanks for joining us in person, online. I know there's a bunch of you guys watching. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us and celebrating Christmas Eve in your homes. Hey, I want to start with a question. Uh, what is, what's been the favorite moment of your life? Like what's, if you think back on your life, I know it's a big question, but what's been like the best moment, the most memorable uh, stories that you go back to again and again to remember what God has done in your life? What are some of the best moments? For me, it's a super easy answer. It's when my children were born, okay? And I kind of feel like, gosh, should it have been when I got married, which is amazing, when I gave my life to Jesus, awesome. But it felt like our kids was a culmination of not only me uh, getting to uh, like have this partnership with my wife where we just made a kid, which is crazy, but also just the fulfillment of God's grace in my life to bless me with this little kid. It's been amazing. So January 17th, 2017, eight pound, nine ounce, little Grayson Elizabeth shows up, little girl, a little brunette, little girl. You know, it's amazing. I was freaking out. And if you guys know me, I'm already emotional. I'm already expressive and I lost it. Okay. I just could not handle the beauty of this little baby that we had made and got to see. Then you fast forward a little bit, June 6, 2019, little Haddon, uh, Asher Edwards is born, eight pounds, three ounces. My wife is pretty petite, but she gives birth to some decent babies. You know, they're, they're kind of weighty. And, uh, and just in a couple days, my wife and I uh, are expecting our baby on the 29th. So we're pumped for that. We're crazy excited. That'll be another that'll add to my culminating of my favorite day. What is it for you? What's your favorite day as you look back on your life? Now, have, have you, as, as I'm sure in mine, are you wondering why the best day of my life wasn't when I heard the news that my wife was pregnant? Like, why would the best day be when I got to hold my baby rather than when I got to hear um, that we were going to have a baby? It's pretty self-explanatory, right? Like, hearing about that you're having a baby doesn't even compare to holding a baby, and to be honest, uh, hearing that you're going to have a baby brings up a lot of questions, doesn't it? Is it going to be healthy? Are there going to be complications? How's delivery going to go? What are they going to look like? All of these questions. Um, and then we'd wait for eight more months to finally hold this baby, to finally move past hearing and get to hold our child. And I always loved the first time at the doctor's office that we got to hear their little heartbeat. You know, that rhythm that God was sustaining was amazing, but it didn't compare to seeing Gracie's full head of hair or Haddon's little butt chin. You know what I mean? Or just getting to hold them was amazing, right? There's no comparison. Hearing, hearing is great, but holding is so much better. It's important for us to understand because in our verses today, we find a group of ordinary shepherds who hear the most extraordinary news ears will ever hear. But the story doesn't stop at them hearing the good news. These shepherds show us what's supposed to happen after we hear this news. The key phrase that we're going to think about this tonight is that they don't stop with hearing, but they move with haste to holding. And it's crucial for us to understand tonight um, because there's an eternal gap between hearing and holding. I don't want you to be mistaken. Hell will unfortunately be filled with people who've heard the good news of Jesus. 
People can explain it until when they heard it, but they never move past hearing. And I think that there are a lot of us who've settled in that same way with just hearing the good news. You know the meaning of Christmas. You know what this sermon's gonna be about. Jesus came down from heaven as a baby to save us. You've heard, but I wanna press in and ask, but have you held this good news? Has it penetrated your heart, not just your ears? It's not enough to just hear good news. We need to hold it. So what does that look like? Well, thankfully, we're gonna find out in our verses today. Amen? So if you got your Bibles, uh, we also have the slides up here to follow along, but if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter two, this is uh, the English standard version of what Bob just read in the kids. It's an amazing book, by the way, if you got kids. Um, but let's look at verses eight and nine together. Now, in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, when we read that, most of us just want to kind of skip past it, go, sweet, that's awesome, it's really setting up what's going to happen, but there is so much to understand about this. Knowing the context of this makes these verses completely mind-blowing. Okay, so uh, if it's not mind-blowing to you, it's probably because you don't know how shepherds were understood in that context. See, nowadays, we kind of have a good connotation with shepherds, like this serene, peaceful, cloak-wearing guy with a long beard and a staff just kind of walking on the hills, you know? Jesus says he's the good shepherd. That raised up the connotation points for it. But in their day, shepherds were extremely lowly, extremely avoided, extremely forgotten. So I just want to point out a couple things. If you look at verse 8, It says they were keeping sheep out in the field, keeping watch over them by night. Okay, there's a couple people in our church that have night shifts, but can we just admit nobody really likes the night shift? And these guys had the day shift and the night shift. So they were there all the time. And check this out, by night meant that they would literally sleep among the sheep. Like that would just be, they were always there. They want to protect them. So shepherds with no place to go would sleep out in these fields. And it sounds cool under the stars, but I promise you it is not. Okay, so that's key. The second thing is that shepherds weren't trusted in that culture. So I know this is kind of unique, but actually their word wouldn't be upheld in court. They couldn't testify in court. And I know that kind of sounds harsh, but track with me. If your friends, if your best friends are a couple of sheep, you're bound to go crazy, okay? So it's like, hey, like, who, you know, who you been hanging out with this week? Like, high lows. Well, like, Bertha, the sheep has been doing this, and, and this one's been doing, it's like, you can't trust that. <laughs> I don't know, but nonetheless, somehow, I don't know why, but they weren't trusted. It could have been because sheeps were their best friends. Uh, third thing to understand is that shepherds were ceremonially unclean. Ceremony unclean, ceremonially unclean because of what they did, how they went about their job. So if you're ceremonially unclean, you can't go to the temple or you can't make certain sacrifices. There's a whole thing you have to do in order to become clean and go worship at the temple. So what does that mean? Shepherds were not likely visitors of the temple in comparison to other people. So they're ceremonially unclean. They're working by night. They're not trusted. And lastly, because of all that, they're socially at the very bottom. In this time, the only group of people who were more despised than shepherds were lepers. And if you know anything about leprosy, it's a highly contagious skin-eating disease that's terrible. So it's like, uh, if, you ha- if you're walking through, shepherds, uh, lepers were the only people that were considered better than shepherds. That's mind-blowing. So take all that together. And then now we just heard that the angel decides to come to these shepherds. Okay? If that hasn't blown your mind yet, think about the equivalent for today. So just imagine, church, that a cure comes out for all 
diseases. All sicknesses in the world, a cure has been discovered. Cancer, Alzheimer's, lupus, diabetes, AIDS, multiple sclerosis, it's a fix-all free medicine that would cure all of them. And rather than this cure coming to the president or leading scientists and physicians or high-ranking politicians or celebrities to get the word out to the millions of followers, the cure is first told to a small group of homeless people in Los Angeles huddled under a bridge. Can you imagine that? A people that have been largely ignored and avoided, people who've been marginalized and untrusted. Is that the way that you would get your world-changing news out? Not at all. There's not a chance we'd be going to that group of people. But God chooses to do that. Why? Church, this is really important to understand. If you've got your Bibles, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read verses 28 through, or 26 through 28. It'll be up on the screen as well. But here's what 1 Corinthians 1 says, verse 26 through 28. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even things that aren't, to bring to nothing things that are. Did you hear the list, the adjectives of the people God chose to work through? Um, they, they weren't uh, wise, they weren't powerful, they weren't of noble birth. God chose the foolish and the weak and the low and despised. That's who God chose. See, City Light, you've got to understand, somewhere along the way, don't exactly know where it was, but Christians started to get it wrong. Modern Christianity has slowly formed into a country club of rule followers, an exclusive gathering for the cream of the crop. Somewhere along the way, the church started caring way too much about talent and prestige and charisma. The church started to become a place where the best were welcomed and the worst were tolerated. Somewhere along the way, modern Christianity has become largely focused on what we can do and achieve for God, our giftings, our abilities, our passion. And yet look at Luke 2. Look who Jesus picks to be the first group of people to know this world-changing event that Jesus has been born. God the Savior is born. What does that mean for us? What does that practically mean? It means that if you resonate with the shepherds thinking you're not smart enough or clean enough or good enough or popular enough or talented enough, absolutely perfect. You're in good company. God chose to give his good news first to unlikely, lowly, dirty people because he wanted to give a definitive statement that God will work whatever he wants through whoever he wants. Moses had a stutter. David was the youngest. Gideon was from the smallest clan and Israel was the smallest nation. God wants to assure us, all of us insecure people, that it's him who's doing the work, not us. And by the way, if we take a real honest look at ourselves, we are those shepherds doing nothing to prompt God to come to us doing nothing to get ourselves clean and presentable. And by his grace, through his doing, he comes to us and he invites us into this amazing story. It's important for you to understand. So unlikely shepherds, the most unlikely group that you would come to, they get this news. What is this news that this angel is proclaiming to them? Answer three questions really quick. What's the good news? Why is it good news? And who's the good news for? So really quick, what's the good news? Look at verse 11. 
it says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So two things I want to point out about what the good news is. Number one, this good news is personal. So notice those words. If you've got a pen, if you mark your Bible, circle unto you. Those are massive, massive words. It's a language that would connotate a personal aspect. Yes, the gospel's generalized to all different types of people. It's amazing, but it's also personal to us. Uh, I don't know how, what your Christmas tradition is, but my uh, dad would always be the one in Christmas to hand us the gifts. You know, that person that sits by the tree and everyone else is sitting and it's like, oh, here you go, Caden, or here you go, Bailey, or here you go, Austin. This is like, you'd get that gift, you'd look and it'd have your name on it. This is what this for unto you is communicating, this gift that has your name on it. So it's good. What's the good news? It's personal. Number two, he says that a savior is born. A uh, city of David, a savior who's Christ the Lord is born. This is a, a news, good news of salvation, of a saving grace. This is important to know because so many people have confused this to think that Jesus is a good teacher primarily. He's come to give us a great standard to live by and to follow and to be better people. And that's the absolute, la- that's not what this says. This says he's a savior, not primarily a moral shaper of people, but a savior of broken people who have no hope in and of themselves. This is a message of salvation that we need to be rescued. This is amazing news. And why is it good news? Look at verse 10. He says, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So it's good news because it brings joy, right? We're gonna expand a little bit more out of this, but that good news is how we translate it. It's the word euangelion, euangelion. And it's where we get the word evangelism uh, or evangelize. It just means to share good news. But what's crazy is I've always simplified evangelism or euangelion to just mean good news, which is what it says. But actually, contextually, what's wild is this euangelion was a word used to declare a king's reign and rule. So they would come after a king has conquered all this land, and they would say, Euangelion, this, this amazing news that the king has come, the king has reigned, the king has taken land. Now, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, verse 33, listen what the angel says about Jesus. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's no mistake that in their context, Euangelion is this kingdom proclamation of joy, Our king has come. Our king is reigning. Our king is reigning in peace and joy and all this stuff. And they say that same word for good news. This is a declaration that the king has come. The king is reigning. And lastly, one of my favorite parts about this is the end of verse 10. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So last question we've got to answer on this piece is who is the good news for? Verse 10 says, all the people. Now, I want to be clear. This doesn't mean that all people all over will accept this news as good news. What he means here is that this good news will be to all kinds of people, right? This is really, really important for us to understand. So what kind of people was Jesus, was the angel talking about here in this declaration? In Luke 5, 32, Jesus says that he came for sinful people. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance. In Luke 19, 10, Jesus says, I came, to come, I came after lost people. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, I came to come after 
uh, tired people. If you're weary, heavy burdened, come and I'll give you rest. First Peter 5, 7, Jesus says, I came for anxious people. They can lay their burdens down on my feet. Galatians 4, 7, Jesus says he came for enslaved people that don't have to sit in their slavery, but become sons and daughters of the king. In Ephesians 2, 14, Jesus says that he came to rescue diverse people, people that don't look alike, talk alike, have the same cultures or languages. He came for a diverse people. And lastly, in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says he comes to find and rescue a global people, people from all different nations. Do you fit in that list? Are you a sinful person? Are you lost? Are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you enslaved? Are you diverse? Are you from the nations? I've got good news. This news we're talking about, it's for you. It's for me. That's the kind of people, and I could have went on and on about the kinds of people that Jesus came for, but he came for all these types of people. And then look what happens after this crazy declaration of this good news. Verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So in response to this wild announcement of good news, of great joy, of a new king coming that's for all kinds of people, a whole multitude of heavenly beings put an exclamation point on it by singing a song. Now, have you ever noticed how much music impacts a scene? Like, uh, so try to, watch, um, try to watch Remember the Titans with the Frozen 2 soundtrack behind it. It doesn't, it does not, it's not good. It doesn't have the same effect. Try and watch The Notebook with Saw 5's soundtrack, okay? Just a bunch of chainsaw. It's just not the same thing. Music and song help put an exclamation point on what's being said and what's being known. That's why we sing. That's why heaven's filled with singing because song puts an exclamation point on the truth of God. And so listen, in a moment of thrilling excitement, the plan that God had in place all along, the plan that was revealed but still not super clear is now known, it's now declared. And in this glorious moment, what else would we expect than a soundtrack to crescendo this eternally planned world-changing event? When it says a multitude of heavenly hosts, uh, a multitude literally just means an uncountable number. Some scholars think that all of heaven all of these heavenly beings were gathered for this crescendo moment in history. Baby Jesus is born, and they're all there to celebrate. And then he makes clear in the song, verse 14, glory to God in the highest. He wants to be, the angel wants to be clear, the, the heavenly hosts want to be clear. This good news is not primarily about us, it's about God. It's for his glory. He's the hero. He's the main actor. He's the main character. We're the recipient. And he finishes with this unique line, and on earth, earth peace among those with whom he is well pe- pleased. So peace comes to people that God is well pleased in. So the question becomes, who is God pleased in? Well, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to be clear here, who will be, he be pleased with? people that have put their faith in God, who've trusted in this good news. All right, so track with me so far. Imagine if these shepherds were like, whoa, dude, did you just see what I saw? I kind of picture them as like, I don't know, like beach bums. I don't know. That would not be what they are. But anyways, did you just see what I saw? Yeah, you know what? I'm really excited about this Savior. That's really cool that he's born. He came down from heaven. Well, anyways, I got to go check on Gertrude. She's escaped and she got hurt yesterday. 
Like imagine if these shepherds acknowledged the good news, but then went on living as if nothing happened. Like if they left unchanged after this news and the heavenly choir, we would freak out. We'd be shocked if we read that in our Bibles. What are you doing? That was absolutely insane. An angel, we've never seen an angel. And it came to you and then a whole heavenly uh, host came and sang to you. What do you mean you're going to go about your day? Are you crazy? And yet this is exactly what we do, isn't it? We hear this amazing news and we respond as if nothing happened. God comes to us, we hear the good news through a sermon or a friend or a radio station or a billboard or song, we think, that's pretty awesome. I wonder how long McDonald's is gonna do their McRib. Should I get the vaccine? I hope my Uncle Jim doesn't drink too much this Christmas. It's like, are you kidding me? Like this life-changing moment isn't changing you, and yet we're all guilty of it. We go unchanged, we hear the good news, we nod our heads, and we maybe even log it away in our heads as a true statement, and yet it never actually changes us. It never actually evokes us to action. And by God's grace, these shepherds give us an amazing picture of how we should respond to this good news. All right, so look at verses 15 and 16 to see and to learn how to respond to the good news. 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Okay, so I just want to draw out a couple things from this. Number one, look at those first words they say. Let us go. Hearing the news provoked them to action. First thing I want to just point out. They didn't wait. They didn't co- uh, contemplate. They didn't plan it all out. They just responded in faith, and they went. Let us go. Not, we can go tomorrow and check if the baby's still there. Let us go now. Second thing, he says, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Has is a really important word in there because it's communicating this confidence. They not only had immediate action, but they had immediate faith. They didn't say this thing that could have happened or maybe happened. They took a step out and said this thing that has happened. Let's go check it out. Not as a mere fact, but as a life-altering truth. Number three It says, and so they went, in verse 16, with haste. Another key thing that you can circle or underline, this is really, really important. They went with haste. Now, if you look back in Luke chapter 1, in verse 39, it says, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. So it's the same exact language. Mary's this great person of faith that the Bible's highlighting, and it says the same exact phrase that the shepherds went with haste to go find Jesus. Now, with haste communicates a hurry. That would be a, a connotating um, reality for what it is. But not like an anxious hurry where you're impatiently waiting for your spouse to get ready and you're already late and you're stressed out. Not that kind of haste, right? But an eagerness to see, an excitement to see what you're planning to see. Now, is anyone here terrible at waiting to give gifts? Is there anyone that are like, yeah, that's me. Like, you get it and you're like, I just want to give it to you because I'm, I'm so excited for you to see it. Like, I literally, and it's hard now with the Amazon age because, like, things come in the mail and you try and be like, don't open, and Kristen opens up. So anyway, I'm just excited, but I can't wait for people to open the gift that I've given them. And this is the same type of haste that we're thinking about, this excitedness to see what we thought we were going to see, this hurry to say, 
I can't wait to get it. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to put my hands on it. This is what with haste means for the shepherds. I can kind of picture them pulling up their thing and starting to jog in excitement to see and find Jesus in the manger. So action, faith, excitement, and lastly is risk. Now, they go on this unique scavenger hunt, don't they? All they were told now, I don't know what directions were like back in the day. And for like Lincoln people, it's like, oh, 50, 56 and Old Cheney. Like you're like, okay, great. For small town people, oh, you go west about a mile and then it's southeast. And Ethan's explaining stuff to me. I'm like, Ethan, I don't know east and west. Honestly, I don't even know left and right sometimes. Just tell me the address and I'll put it into Google Maps and I'll get there, okay? You know what I mean? Is anyone with me? It's a different generational thing. It's a small town, big town thing. I don't know how they gave directions, but you want to know what the angels' directions they gave them? Swallowing cloths, lying in a manger. Okay, well, that doesn't help the Google search because that's a lot of different places around here, okay? And it's not like there's this, we picture this big beam of light and they're like, oh, sweet, let's go, let's go. No, 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 no. I mean, they would literally have to just knock, like knock on doors, ask them. And so picture this scene, the shepherds. Hi, I know it's late and we're not invited, but have you seen a baby lying in a manger? He's actually God, and so he might not look like a normal baby. Pete thinks that he might be glowing. I think he might have a little beard. I don't know. We got a bet on it. But any chance that you've seen this baby? <laughs> Door shut. You know, it's like, get out of here. You're, I don't know what these guys... And they're already ostracized, and they're already considered crazy, and yet these guys don't care. They risk it all. You already think I'm crazy, but I need to get my hands on this baby. I need to see with my own eyes this Savior that's been born. And so they knock, and they knock, and they knock, and they finally find the baby. They finally find this Savior that they've been looking for. And by the way, Bob pointed this out. This is crazy. Remember how I mentioned that shepherds were ceremonially unclean, which prohibited them from going to the temple, right? They would have to do a bunch of stuff in order to go. Now, the temple was a place of worship, a holy place, but guess where, or, but where did God decide to enter this earth? Not a temple, not a country club, not a fancy house in a gated community. He comes, he shows up in a dirty manger. Why? Because everyone's welcome in a manger. There's no dress code, there's no dress code, there's no prereqs to do it. There's no requirements to get clean first. This is a declaration from God to you and I that all kinds of people are welcome. So come to the manger. The invite's ready. Now, this is pure speculation, okay? There's no verse that explicitly says this, and maybe it wasn't a custom at the time, but I can just picture the shepherds, like imagine the shepherds finding Jesus for the first time. I picture them walking in, seeing Jesus in the manger, and just falling on their knees and worshiping Jesus. I don't know why the, Luke doesn't give an example of what they did or explain that, but they're blown away that the Savior came for them, that he really came, although we don't deserve them. And again, it's pure speculation, but if I was one of those shepherds, I'd probably ask, can I hold him? <laughs> and if I was with my wife, Kristen, she'd hit me at that moment and go, that's not polite. Like, don't ask that, you know? And I'm like, but I just would love to, you know? Or maybe Mary. Again, it's pure speculation. Maybe she sees the way they're just so blown away and she goes, would you like to hold him? Oh, it'd be the honor of my life. Regardless of how that happened, the point is this. They didn't stop at hearing the good news. They went and they held the good news for themselves to see with their own eyes what they were told by the angel. They were changed forevermore. They didn't settle for hearing. They searched until they found him. 
Kent Hughes is a pastor, a theologian. This is what he says. It's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to peek into the manger and say, oh, how nice. What a lovely scene. It gives me such good feelings. The truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but not within you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who was born into the world must be born in your heart. Religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the living Christ, is a yellow brick road to darkness. My question is do you want to move past hearing the gospel and start to hold it? Your eternity hangs on how you answer that question. Will you sit here tonight, nod your head to the news that Jesus was born to die? the perfect for the broken, the creator for the creation, the spotless for the sinful, will you leave unchanged? Or has this news led you to action, to faith, to excitement, and to risk just like the shepherds? And if we were gonna search for Jesus today like these shepherds did, what would it look like? I just wanna point out two places. Number one, if, we, if you wanna look for Jesus and find him and hold him, open up your Bible. Very simple, not that glamorous, but open up your Bible. This is the proverbial manger in what we look to, and the whole of it, the entirety of it points to Jesus, right? And so go, with, go to this with haste. Run and open it up and learn for yourself, not just from me, not just from videos and sermons, but for yourself, open up the Bible. Start in John and just continue to read. We're going through the book of Luke this whole next year. Start in Luke somewhere, but go and learn about Jesus. In John 5, verse 39, Jesus tells the people, you search these scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's me that they bear witness to. They all point to me. And if you've held Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to him, we should want to look again and again into this proverbial manger to see the newborn king, shouldn't we? To not just open it initially, but to go back to it daily again and again to gaze upon his beauty. So if you want to look for Jesus in this scavenger hunt that they went on, look no further than your own Bibles. Number two, look in gospel-centered community. Get around people who love with Jesus. Get plugged into a city group. Get around people that you know love Jesus and are gonna point you to him. So as the story continues, it says that the shepherds made known in verse 17 the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. Verse 18, all had wondered or marveled at what the shepherds told them. In verse 19, Mary treasured all these things up, right? What a gift of God to give Mary these shepherds. They come in, they go, you wouldn't believe what we just, what just happened. She's like, I think I could. Actually, I know, I know. You know, Mary, did you know? Yeah, I did. The angel told me. You don't need to sing that anymore, right? And, and they go, but it's crazy because this, this angel came and the whole heavenly host came. But how sweet of Jesus to give Mary this assurance of what she already knew to be true, to give Joseph, Joseph this assurance angels that came to them, but they helped each other, point each other to Jesus and what God had done. So this is what we get to do as believers, and this is what we should experience from believers, pointing each other to the king in the manger constantly, showing each other the beauty of Jesus. And in 1 John 4, 12, uh, John says this, no one's ever seen God, right? We haven't like physically seen him, but he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, we get to uh, show people who Jesus is, right? And so for those of us in the room that have held on to Jesus, for the believers in the room, the question we need to wrestle with isn't whether or not we've held Jesus, 
but if we're still holding fast to him, right? Are we still at the manger shocked that the Savior came to us? Or have we wandered away in awe of lesser things? And if you're anything like me, that haste, that excitement that was initially there can fade in sneaky, subtle ways. So I pray this Christmas that for every Christian in the room, we would hear and respond to this news as if it were the first time we heard it, like we're still flabbergasted at the news. That when we look at our Christmas trees at home, we remember a different tree. It wasn't decorated with ornaments and lights and candy canes, but was covered in the blood of the Savior. That everything this Christmas would point him back, point us back to him. And so church, the God that holds the universe in his hands became a baby held in his teenage mother's hands so that undeserving sinners like you and I not only get to hear this news, but hold it for ourselves. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Again, we just confess Christmas is an undeserved holiday, a celebration that no one did anything to provoke or start. Uh, And so, Jesus, just thank you. knowing that your gift communicates automatically that it's not a reward, it's not a payment, it's an undeserved gift from a father to his creation to make us your children if we place your faith in you. And so God, thank you. I pray around the room. I know, Jesus, that there are probably plenty of people in this room who've heard your news before and they've for sure heard it tonight. And I am pleading with you, Jesus, that maybe for the first time, by your grace, through your spirit, you would allow them to hold your gospel for the first time with, with, with it would provoke action and faith and, um, and movement and excitement and risk in their lives that they wouldn't just uh, hear it, but that God, that they would hold your gospel for themselves. It would become personal, not just penetrating their ears, but penetrating their heart. God, would you do that? Just beg you this Christmas. Would they experience their first Christmas as a Christian, as a born-again believer, where you've not only been born in Bethlehem, but in their hearts, Jesus, do that. You're the only one that can. And Father, for the rest of us in the room that have trusted in you, I'm pleading with you that we wouldn't just cling to this old truth where we first held to you, but today, tonight, for the rest of our lives, we'd hold fast to you because you're holding fast to us. Jesus, that we would be wrecked and in awe and flabbergasted by your grace and your beauty in our lives. So do something special in our hearts, Jesus. Make yourself bigger, magnify yourself in our hearts by your grace. We love you, Jesus, in your name, amen.